Welcome back to Many Moments Podcast. In today's episode, we had the honor of interviewing Mrs. Wendy Long. Uh, we both have a mutual friend. You'll hear in her testimony how God put people in her life at a young age to help point her to Christ and show her Christ's love. Uh, but you also hear about a lot of adversity she had to overcome as well. Uh, you also hear about there's moments in life where she didn't think she needed Christ uh, as her Savior. And you even hear about how she fell into the, the bonds of addiction. But even then, God didn't give up on her. And God sent a man by to help get her out of that addiction and put a godly man in her life to help uh, help her to come to know Christ as her Savior and, and helped her get into a faith-based rehab and make sure that she was working for the Lord after that. So if you know anybody that is facing the same things that are talked about here or is going through something similar, please share this episode with them and let them know there's still hope and there's still help for them. And you be that friend and bring Christ to them and let them hear the gospel from you, their friend. And if you know anybody or if you'd be willing to share your testimony, please reach out to the podcast at mendingmomentspod at gmail.com. Let's get into the interview. Well, I'm here with, with Wendy Long, uh, Mrs. Long. Um, she wants to, or we reached out through a mutual friend uh, to, well, I saw it, reached out to see if you'd like to share your testimony. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a process, it but is. but yes. we are here, here we <laughs> thankfully. Are. So I uh, wanted to kind of see if we go back and start from the beginning a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, tell us about your childhood, how you was raised, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of just kind of build on it from there. Absolutely. Um, so uh, my I was born to uh, a mother who struggled with drug addiction, my biological mother. And um, she uh, was married uh, to my biological father who played in a band. Uh, he was the drummer. Yeah. And he knew that, that Kay, my biological mother, uh, struggled with drug addiction by the time she was 17, she had four children. Oh, wow. Four, three, one and a half, and six months. I was the baby, the six month old. Wow. And he was supposed to go play a gig, and it was out of town. And he said that he knew that she had a problem, and he has apologized profusely for leaving us there with her. He said that he knew not to leave, but he made the decision to go ahead and and go play the gig. So we were left there uh, with Kay, and she had left, the the story that I got is that Kay had left the house, and she left all the kids, all us kids there alone. And she had been gone a couple of days, and my oldest brother, Um, was outside playing in the yard and some neighbors noticed that something wasn't right Mm -hmm. and so they came and checked and found all of us kids alone Um, they called social services and social services removed all of us from the home my oldest brother was put into foster care my sister, who was next in line, she was sent to foster care in New Mexico. Wow. My brother and I, uh, my brother Tim, uh, we were 11 months apart, and we had not yet gone to foster care. <laughs> they went to K. We were at the orphanage in Greensboro. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the authorities went to Kay um, and told her, if you will sign all of your children over, sign over your rights, we will not give you jail time. So Kay, of course, being in that mindset of an addict, um, the last thing that we want to do is go to jail. Um, so she chose to sign over the rights yeah. to her children. They attempted to locate our, our biological father, Chuck. Um, they couldn't find him. So back in those days, this would have been, I was born in 63, so this would have been maybe 64 when all of this was going on. Um, you had to put an ad in the newspaper mm -hmm. um, when you, you didn't have all the social media mm -hmm. to track people down. So they put an ad in the paper and they legally had to run that ad for 30 days mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that he would have time to, you know, come and get us or, or do whatever needed to be done. Yeah. So when he got word uh, what had happened, he did go to Greensboro to the, uh, to the children's services and he was informed that he could not take us. Um, the Charles, my oldest brother, had already gone into foster care, and as I said, Christy, my sister, was mm -hmm. in New Mexico. Tim and I were still at the um, orphanage, so he wanted to take us. And they said, no, but we will give you three months if you can get a job and a place to live, then we'll revisit whether you can get your children back. Well, in the real world, it takes a lot longer than three months to, to get a job. He was a traveling musician, that, that's mm -hmm. what he did, and he just didn't make a lot of money at it, and he did not have any stable home for us to go to. So the end of the three months came. Um, we had an aunt who lived up in Michigan who had said, you could bring Wendy and Tim and come up here. Christy and Charles were pretty much off the table at that point. Mm. Um, so the aunt said that we could come and stay with her, um, but social services said, no, we're, we're not gonna let them go. He lost his rights at that point. Um, and I, I think back even now, and I'm so thankful that God let me and my brother be together. Mm. For yeah. whatever reason, however God worked it out, we had each other. Yeah. The other two were gone but God kept us together. Mm -hmm. And what a blessing. Yeah. Um, so uh, Chuck, my bio father, he asked the people at social services, please don't separate them. Mm -hmm. Please keep them together. Yeah. So um, somehow it all worked out. We went into a very loving, very loving, godly, Christian foster family, and we were there for three years. Oh, wow, okay. Um, we actually got back in touch. They tracked me down um, through my father's obituary. They got my name and found out where I was living. Um, they got in touch with me, I guess, eight, nine years ago. So we're, we're reconnected yeah. Yeah. after all those years. Yeah. Um, and I still go to Greensboro and mm -hmm. visit them from wow. time to time. So That's it awesome. was wonderful. There yeah. were... Uh, almost 50 years, you know, that we didn't really know yeah. each other what was going on. Um, so anyway, we were at their house for three years. Meanwhile, God had been preparing the heart of a mother in Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. 
um, to love these two little children. And she and my dad wanted to adopt a little boy. That's what they had, you know, they had decided they wanted to do. And um, they went to Greensboro to, to visit some children and see, and they saw Tim and thought he was just the cutest little boy and that he would just be perfect, you know, and be a good fit, you know, for the family. He had been four, right? He four, was four, five. I was three. Yeah. And, um, and they said, well, you know, yes, he, he is available for adoption, um, but he has a, a little sister named Wendy. Um, we would really like to see them go together. Yeah. So they didn't really commit at that time. Uh, they went home and they thought about it. And I guess it was my dad who said, you know what, if you want to take both of them, we'll take both of them. So even God then, you know, was putting the love and had this family, you know, in place. Yeah. Um, and my mom says, you know, from the first time I saw you, I loved you. So it was just a done deal. Yeah. Uh, both of us, not just me, but Tim too. And so... Um, they came and took us, uh, they came to Greensboro, they took us home for, I think, a week, um, just for a visit, you know, to see how it would go. And then they um, decided that they would take both of us. Yeah. So home we went. And in between the time that we left the Christian foster home, for some reason we were placed for three months in a, a bad foster home. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the interim, waiting for everything to be done. We don't really understand why we were removed for from the good home, but we were. And in that home, I do not remember any uh, physical abuse, but I, I remember there was with my brother. Mm-hmm. And I remember that my brother went through some very, um, very hard hard abuses in that home and um, he could never resolve that you know throughout his life it stayed with him all his life but as far as Tim was concerned if his little sister was okay he was okay and he would get through it even as a four-year-old and um, when we went into our new home with our mom and dad um, our forever home He was still very, very, very protective of me. Like he would not let me out of his sight. Um, And I don't, I think that may have been part of the reason was because of the abuse that he went through. He just didn't want anything to happen to me. But I was blessed. Um, And as I said, we were so blessed to stay together. Mm -hmm. We had that biological connection Mm -hmm. that we would not have had had we been separated. So, you know, fast forward, we get our forever home. We had probably every material possession you could want. Uh, We had horses, we had nice clothes, um, a big house, you know, lived on the big farm. Um, But our adoptive father never bonded with us. It was always sort of at an arm's length. There wasn't any sort of loving, nurturing, from the father in the home. And um, so that made it difficult. Um, It made it difficult to 
to relate to men, if that makes sense. You know, all my life I had a, a hard time getting to know men or trusting men or um, really, I guess, respecting men. Um, but it, it was just hard, and it was very, very hard for my brother as well. Um, you need that, as we were talking about earlier, you need that leadership, you need that love um, in the home. My mother was a Christian. I cannot say that, that my adoptive father was. I never saw fruit you know, from it. If he was saved, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, he died in 2010. Um, but our mother was loving. She took us to church. Um, she told us right from wrong. Mm. But for whatever reason, it just didn't take <laughs> with Tim or with me. Yeah. We were both very willful, very troubled um, children and teenagers. And I remember in high school... <clears throat> People are talking about what college you're going to go to, you know, your goals. And I didn't have any goals. I never did. I just sort of wandered my way through life. Um, the only reason that I went to church as a teenager was because mom told me I couldn't drive my car to school if I didn't go to church on Sunday. So she was going to get us there yeah. somehow. Yeah. Um, my brother Tim ended up leaving the home at 16. Different things had happened yeah. and he just couldn't be there anymore. Um, it was never really a happy home, you know, the fuzzy, uh, Christmases and, you know, family times, um, vacations together, things like that didn't happen in my family. I remember I would go to some of my girlfriends in high school, I would go to their houses like after school or, you know, on the weekends and their dads loved them. You know, they talked to him and they hugged him and they talked to me, you know, they didn't hug me, but they talked to me and they were funny and they just interacted in a whole different way than I was accustomed to. And then I would go back home to, you know, the, the dysfunction. So, you know, fast forward, I'm 18. Uh, where are you going to go to college, Wendy? Uh, what are you going to do? What's your plan for your life? Um, if I could, so you talked about how there was just a different dynamic when you went to other houses mm -hmm. and saw, you know, the the functional family, the mm -hmm. the I'm trying to think of the right word, I guess the in tune father, yes. I guess the present father. Yes. Um. So going even you know, elementary, middle, high school, mm -hmm. <clears throat> did did that affect your ability to even make friends? Not so much on the romantic dating side, but oh, even exactly. just just having a friend. Mm -hmm. Did you always have that suspicion, like, oh, you know, they don't, they don't mean what they say, or, or was it just like you were good? You, you know, you'd be able to make mm -hmm. friends and mm -hmm. and things of that nature. I I was very very shy as a teenager. Um, I I would get like a date with like a cute boy, like we would, and back then you, you usually you really double dated, and the parents would drive you to the mm -hmm. movies or whatever. And but I never talked. You know, I was just so incredibly shy, and I didn't really know what to say. So I, I very seldom got a second date. <laughs> well, you're at, the, you're at the movies. You can't talk during the movie, you know. So, yeah, no. Um, but there just wasn't I, – I had a very dull-like personality. It was like I had this fun personality in me, 
but it just wasn't free to come out because as I was saying, when it came to males, um, I had not really been taught, you know, how to relate. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have that in your life from a father, uh, and definitely didn't have the trust, especially after what happened when I was 16. Um, didn't want anything to do with him. I didn't want him near me. I didn't want to be really in the home at all. Um, it just, the home felt dirty then. It felt unsafe. Um, and I guess that's a, a word that I should say. I never felt safe and loved uh, by a father. Not the biological father because I mean, he went off and left us when he knew not to, you know, and if you don't love your children, what's wrong with you? That's what I used to think about, you know, what's wrong with me if, if my biological mother didn't love me enough to quit drugs and he didn't love me enough to stay home, um, how was I lovable, you know? And, and it wasn't just me, but it was four other children. I mean, three other children. It was all four of us that this happened to. Yeah. And so if you can't be loved by your biological parents, how can you be loved by an adoptive parent that, that you have no connection with except a legal piece of paper mm -hmm. that says you're legally responsible for this child until they're 18 or whatever? With my mom, it was different. I bonded to my mom. My mom is my best friend. Mm -hmm. um, but with dad, it was just very different. But anyway, back to what you were talking about. It was always very hard to talk to guys. Um, I did not have any, like, male friends, you know, that I just hung out with. I was almost scared of them, <clears throat> I guess. Just I did. They were like a, a strange alien population that yeah. I just didn't know, <laughs> you know, how to relate yeah, to. Yeah. Even though uh, Tim and I stayed very close mm -hmm. all through our lives, but I saw Tim, he was always my hero. You know, I could go to Tim for anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew him and he knew me. Um, and it may have been that I'm sitting here thinking maybe I just kept, um, kept it at an arm's length because I didn't want them to know the infrastructure in my home. Yeah. I didn't want them to see it. And I remember when I would have girlfriends over, they would just be like, does your dad never talk to you? And what am I supposed to say? I mean, yeah. they noticed, they knew what was back at their house and they were just in an environment that mom and dad don't talk to each other. Um, dad doesn't talk to the kids. It's almost like you have to go upstairs and just be quiet and not bother anybody um, to try to keep the peace in the house. So, you know, my friends would come over, but they seldom wanted to come back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, look, our house isn't that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. My dad may get on my nerves, but at least he talks to me, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so then it was, um, I turn 18 and, you know, I got to make some life decisions. You know, I got to do something. And um, my brother Tim had moved to Virginia Beach and I decided that I would follow him there. And I didn't tell my mom I was leaving. I just up and left. Wow. And she was very upset that I did that, very upset. And um, I ended up meeting a guy um, who was a friend of Tim's who had been in jail. Um, Tim had been in jail in Georgia and Tim 
Tim drank, uh, he smoked pot, um, he liked his rock and roll, he was a rebel, Tim was a rebel, he went, his goal was to get drunk and go to rock concerts and be a rock star. Um, that was, that was where he was mentally. Um, so he had gotten in some trouble in uh, Virginia. He had gone to jail and he had been in jail with this guy named Terry Long. <laughs> and, um, hmm. Terry, I met in Rose's parking lot in Virginia beach. Tim had run into him and Terry saw me and I guess wanted an introduction. And so, um, Tim introduced us and we didn't really have anywhere to live. We just lived in hotels, you know, and um, anyway, so Terry, you know, hello. Oh, hey, nice to meet you. Um, so he asked if we wanted to come and live at his house with him. Um, and of course to us, Tim's girlfriend, Jody, um, when you don't have a place to live and somebody offers you their house to come and live in, you're, you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. Terry and I just connected. Um, I would like to say that we fell in love, but being where I am in my life today, I think we both needed somebody. And we really didn't know what it was like to really, certainly didn't know what it was like to have a godly love mm -hmm. for each other. Um, but I think that at the time we were what we needed and, um, one day we were all just talking and we're like, why don't we go out to Phoenix, Arizona? Mm -hmm. Tim had always wanted to go out West. So here we are four lost kids, mm -hmm. uh, on our way to Phoenix, Arizona, not knowing what we're going to do. I mean, yeah. it's just, we're going to go. So we did, and um, we made money. We were little criminals. Um, we made money by stealing and then selling the merchandise. That's how we got across the country and mm. how we got a place to stay. And while we were in um, New Mexico going through the petrified forest, Terry Long proposed to me. And I mean, why not? I said yes. And um, we got married in Arizona, in Phoenix. We got married. Um, I started smoking a lot of marijuana. I started snorting some cocaine. Um, it seemed like the alcohol opened the door to the marijuana which opened the door to the cocaine. Um, and before I knew it, my husband was dealing it. He was selling it. And I'm just sort of the oblivious, <clears throat> give me another line kind of girl. I don't want to know what's going on. I'll just stay here in my own little world. And so that's what we did for seven years. And um, no, wait a minute, three years in Phoenix. And my brother Tim ended up getting arrested and he had an outstanding warrant in uh, Virginia. So they extradited him back. Mm. And then of course I didn't want to be in Phoenix. I didn't have any family there. Mm -hmm. um, his wife, Jody, they had two little girls at that time and she left to go back to Virginia too. She was going to move in with her parents. 
which made sense. So Terry and I left to go back to Virginia not long after that. And um, Terry got a job, um, and then Terry got sick. And he was diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, he was pretty sick by the time they diagnosed it because he was 27 years old and you don't get colon cancer when you're 27 years old and this was back in 1994 and um, I was thrown into a world of irresponsibility or from a world of irresponsibility into all of a sudden I've got a husband with cancer and I was so grossly immature for my age I had not mentally caught up to the age of 30 which I was at that time and so I didn't know how to deal with this you you have what your cancer what what are you talking about you can't have cancer you're my husband and I need you to take care of me because um, I was still drinking and still smoking pot um, was not doing cocaine at that time um, but I was drinking <clears throat> and smoking a lot of pot and that was my world I cleaned the house I cooked the meals I did things like that but I knew nothing of taking care of myself at all so Terry had surgery um, had a colostomy it was bad and your world becomes radiation and chemotherapy and doctor appointments and pharmacy runs and and you just are like and his mom would come over who was a Christian she lived in Virginia <clears throat> she would come over she's a Christian she would read scripture over him she would bring her uh, lady friends over from the church and they would pray over him and I would just look at them and think, what are you doing? He's terminal. And you're praying for God to heal him. And understand, I didn't know God. Mm -hmm. Okay, I knew what I knew from my mother. I didn't know God for Wendy. Nothing. All I saw was a God who was killing my husband at 27 years old and leaving me alone. Mm -hmm. that, that was what I knew of God. Yeah. So they're praising God and they're singing these old time hymns around his bed and he's sick and I'm like <clears throat> I really want y'all to stop doing this it's upsetting him wasn't upsetting him at all mm -hmm. the next thing I knew Terry Long was reading a Bible mm -hmm. and the next thing I knew Terry Long wanted me to come in and get in bed with him and he wanted to read the Bible with me come on honey we need to read the Bible together you want me to read the Bible with you and God's killing you and you want to tell me that God is good I don't want anything to do with that Bible and I don't want anything to do with God and my husband cried I didn't understand why he was crying he was crying for my lost soul mm -hmm. is what he was crying for yeah through that cancer my husband got saved yeah 
he got baptized from a wheelchair. Yeah. We went to visit the church where his mom went because Terry, it was very important to him to get baptized. And, um, and I remember we wheeled him in in his wheelchair. He, Terry was six foot three when he got sick and he weighed 280 pounds. Wow. By the time this was winding down, he weighed 140 pounds. Mm. He was skin and bones. And he was wheeled down by some of the men in the church. He was lifted up and he was baptized in the baptistry. Mm -hmm. I think back and that was one of the most beautiful days of my life. Because even though I didn't realize it at the time, I realize it now. My husband, I was witness to his baptism. Mm -hmm. When he got saved, I'm not real sure, but everything about him changed when he found out that nothing else could be done for him. When he found out he was terminal, there was a change that came over my husband. And it was like, what is this angel? He was so sick, but he glowed mm. with a peace mm. that surpasses understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think back to how sick he was and really, you know, when you come to the end with cancer, sometimes you really do look like skin on a skeleton. Mm -hmm. And he did. And he was very, very sick, but he was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Because the glow of that Holy Spirit within him was shining through yeah. and, and bearing, giving witness to me. Mm -hmm. Even then, and I still didn't want anything to do with God nothing yeah so Terry died October 16th of 1994 and I moved back to Asheville and I probably weighed about 240 pounds I gained a whole lot of weight um, while Terry was sick I already wasn't thin um, by any means but I gained probably 80 90 pounds wow. so I moved back to Asheville can, um, can we pause there sure so uh was there Christian outreach programs that come to you? Was there a friend? Uh, I know you said you, Terry's mother came, and I'm sure she brought the women of the church as well. Um, so during this time, was there any other people that was trying to introduce you to Christ? Or was it just mainly Terry's mother and the women from the church? There was no, well, I, I shouldn't say there was no one. I think that everyone who came, and the pastor, although Terry and I did not belong to a church, this was his mother's church, yeah. and yeah. her pastor came to visit mm -hmm. uh, Terry a couple of times um, just to minister to him and, and talk to him um, about death, um, trying to help Terry be prepared for um, leaving yeah. this world. For the end, yeah. Um, and I think that that was very helpful for Terry and very comforting. I, I look back now where I am now and I see God trying. You know, I see God putting people in my life all along the way to witness, maybe not even so much with sitting down and talking to me and sharing the gospel with me, um, which came later. Um, but there were people there who represented the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing that, and I didn't understand it. I knew it was different. I just didn't understand how anybody could love God. I did not understand mm -hmm. the love of God. 
at that time in my life because I took it so personally. You're taking my husband at 27 years old, you're, you're letting him suffer, you're killing him, and I'm gonna be left here alone with nobody to take care of me. So that was the selfish little girl that was inside of me. Um, How old were you when he, when he passed? I was 30, 30. and he was 27 when okay. he died. Okay. Um, we were married for seven years. Um, so fast forward, um, and the church was also very kind after Terry died. They checked on me. Mm -hmm. um, they would call and check on me, the pastor, and then a couple of the ladies called and checked mm -hmm. on me. And um, they actually gave me a, a very nice love offering that I didn't understand the love behind it yeah. back then. Um, but they had taken up a collection for me. Uh, also wanted to ask, so during the... The the time we found out he was terminally, so there was a change made. Mm -hmm. So there was no more dealing drugs, no more doing no. drugs, no more drinking. Mm -mm. So were you still mm -hmm. using on the side, like on your side? But okay. Oh, I was taking some of his pain medication. Okay. That's that's how corrupt and yeah. how wretched mm -hmm. I was. Okay. Because I I didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. I wanted to be completely numb. Yeah. And I didn't want to feel anything at all, especially the fear of losing my husband. Yeah. The, the absolute heartbreak that any time I would think about him dying and not mm -hmm. being with me, mm -hmm. it, it was like my brain would explode if I had to think about it. Yeah. And since I didn't have God to go to, I chose not to go to God. Let me yeah. be very yeah. clear yeah. about that. Yeah. I always, we always have him yeah. to go to. Yeah. I, you had no I relationship chose, with no. him, so it was... And since I was already, had, had made God in my image mm -hmm. as a cruel mm -hmm. God, as a heartless God, um, I just didn't want to feel anything at all. Mm. Um, and, and I didn't. I didn't. If I started to feel it was time to take another pill or smoke another joint or take mm -hmm. another drink... But for Terry, no. When we left Phoenix, he left all the drug dealing behind. Okay. There, there wasn't any more drug dealing. Okay. Uh, when we got back to Virginia, he had made a decision, we're not doing this anymore. Oh, okay. And he hated my drinking. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't, of course, know um, that I was taking some of his pain medication. Uh, he didn't know about that. Um, and he smoked very, very little marijuana and the reason that he did smoke any marijuana was because the nausea from the chemotherapy um, the medication that he needed he didn't have insurance and the medication he needed for the nausea was like $800 for 10 mm -hmm. pills yeah. so he made the choice I'm gonna get the marijuana he wasn't smoking it to get high anymore he was smoking it to to keep that nausea yeah. away yeah. Um, and he only smoked it when the nausea would come. Yeah. Um, and then the morning uh, came that, that Terry, he died. And no drink, no pill, no pot killed that pain. That, that pain was always there. Mm. Uh, nothing, it didn't work anymore. And um, we all went out to Mississippi. That's where he wanted to be buried because that's where all his family was from. We went to the funeral. My brother, Tim, 
uh, came down with my mom, or no, no, a friend of mine drove me up to Asheville. And then mom and I and Tim and another friend of mine, Jennifer, we drove to Mississippi. We had the funeral and the burial and I left and never went back. Um, so I lived in Asheville now, moved up to Asheville, had gained a lot of weight. I decided that I was gonna quit everything. I'm gonna get a job and I'm gonna live right. So I got a job working with developmentally disabled children. Loved that job, sweetest little kids. <laughs> I mean, I, I tell you, I, and, and you look back and you see God moving and, 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 and getting me this job and letting me work with this population of people and it sort of softened my heart again because yeah. my heart had become so embittered mm-hmm. um, that, this, that taking care of these little children, it fulfilled something in me and I became a little more soft-hearted. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, started exercising, I need to get healthy. Um, my motive was to get healthy. That was my motive for losing weight. I was tired of being fat and I wanted to lose weight and be able to breathe good. So I did, I went on a a diet and exercise program and it took me a year and I got down to 140 pounds. Wow. And and I did the work, (laughs) I I did the work. But here's what happened. I got a little full of myself. And I noticed that if I would go to the gas station or the grocery store, you know, men were kind of checking me out. You know, I'm like 31 years old, you know. Okay, you know, I haven't had a guy look at me in years and years. So a friend of mine one night asked me, and I got prideful. I got very prideful, went and bought all the cute little clothes, you know, and got very fleshy. And um, a friend of mine invited me out to have a beer one night after work. And I went and I drank beer and that sort of started the whole, wow, look at all the attention I'm getting at the bar. You know, this is great. You know, these guys buying me drinks, buying Mm -hmm. my beer, lighting my cigarette. Mm -hmm. Um, And then lo and behold, this guy comes up to me one night, just smiling, smiling this little mischievous smile. His name was Mike and we hooked up and we were together for eight years, I think. Mm. And I remember Mike came up to me, we had been dating for a few months and he came up to me one night and we were at a friend of his house drinking, being stupid. And he comes up to me with this pipe and he's like, I want you to try this. I think you'll like it. And I looked at it and I'm like, what is it? It's crack cocaine. Now I knew not to do it, but I did. And that escalated me into a life that I had no idea what I did that night would lead me to the depths of despair that it did. What uh, what age was that? That would have been I was 31, 31 when I met Mike. We were together until I was 38. Yeah, I was 31 when I met him. He was 10 years older than me. Yeah. Um, 
Mike sold real estate, you know, I thought he was this really nice, good-looking, harmless guy. But an angel of darkness is, you know, comes as a messenger of light. And, um, mm -hmm. and when I tried that, I liked it. And um, it totally took over my life. It, it, it destroyed me. It took everything, my job, my money, my cars, and I don't mean one car, my friends, my family, my brother Tim. It took my dignity. It took everything from me. I did crack cocaine for 10 years, 10 years. Wow. And Mike died. Um, he died when I was 38. We were together seven years. The reason that we weren't together was he died from cirrhosis, um, from alcoholism. And I remember Mike telling me, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I ever, ever put that in your hand. Really? I had no idea that it was going to do to you what it did to you. Mm. And he watched me go down, you know. Um, if anyone had told me what I was capable of, the evil, the wretchedness, the horrific nature that lives in me, I would not have believed you. Yeah. I did things that I did things that I look back now and I'm like, how God could you love me? How could you love such a wretch like me? But this is the love of God and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. While we were yet sinners well Mike died when I was um, 38 Mike died and um, I was left alone with my addiction at that point because Mike had pretty much he had been my home you know I could live with him um, if I wasn't working which I didn't work much um, he was my provider he took care of me we were not married but he took care of me and after he died, I was left with an addiction that wasn't being supported anymore. And when something like that happens, you would like to think that you're over it. And you would like to think that you can go on, but you can't. You can't go on without it. I could not go on without it. Yeah. Um, my family was very, very concerned about me, but they were backing away from me. Um, my mom could absolutely not stand it anymore. She could not stand it. During this time of that, that 10 years of just spiraling down, was there times where your mother or family, friends, hey, like, you got a problem? Even during that time, was your mother, like, like trying to point you to Christ? Say, hey, like, it's... Mom so many times told me that God could help me. God could help me. And I remember saying to my mom, God can't help me. There's no way that God could love me. 
I don't even understand why God let me be born. Mm. I am a waste of human flesh. And she would cry. She would just cry when I would talk like that. But Wendy, you just don't know. You don't know how much God loves you. Yeah. Well, God can't love me. You run out of chances with God. And I, I've blown it. I would sometimes get it together um, for two or three days, but that was really the most. I went to jail more times than I can even remember. Mm. Um, in and out of jail, in and out of the crack houses. Um, it was my life. It, it, it was what I did, and I did not know how to get out of it. I went to N.A. Um, a couple of times, didn't help. And then there came the night of um, Christmas Eve of 2005. And that night, I had done the one thing that I said I would never do for dope. And when I did it, I remember just thinking, your life is over. It, it's, it's over, you have nothing. You are everything that you thought you would never be. So I look up at the sky that night and I'm literally on the side of the road in Asheville, um, broke, homeless, friendless. It's Christmas Eve. All I could think of was families and their homes together, a nice fire, you've got the Christmas tree, you know, maybe you're reading a Christmas story to your kids. Where am I? I'm on the side of the road, a washed up drug addict with nothing. And then this light little drizzling rain starts falling. And I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to live because I'm never going to get better. No. I'm always going to go back to the dope. So I'm like, well, I could jump into traffic and let somebody run me over. Or I could go jump in the river. So I'm standing there trying to decide what I want to do. How do I want to go out? And then faith the size of a mustard seed shows up. It shows up in my heart. And I looked at the sky and it's like all these people all my life who have told me God loves me, I've got hope. And I looked at the sky and I said, God, if you can do something, if you can do something, do it now. Because I'm, I'm done. I have no, I'm, I'm through. I'm, I'm finished. Probably not even 30 seconds after I said that, a truck pulls up and tells me to get in. And I am literally in Blairsville, Georgia from Asheville, North Carolina, Christmas morning of 2005. Wow. Now, I don't know how I'm alive. 
why I'm alive. I did not commit suicide. And I never heard of Blairsville, Georgia. Mm -hmm. I heard of Savannah and Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in this trailer with this, with this person, a guy. Um, he never wanted anything sexual from me. He told me, there's something about you. You cannot live this way any longer. It was like God sent Moses. This was like Moses. He's my people. And he is getting me out of Egypt. Yeah. I think back now and it still completely blows my mind. So anyway, I'm staying there with him. My family has no idea where I am. Um, the day after Christmas is my birthday. And... I'm just confused. I'm numb. I'm like in a fog. I'm like, if I keep doing dope, I'm going to die and I'm going to go to hell. But I had never thought about going to hell, you see. I, I figured I would die at some point, OD or, you know, get killed or whatever. But going to hell was never one of my thoughts. That God was dealing with my heart. And God was showing me, you will die and you will go to hell. Yeah. And that scared the, the G, it scared me. But I didn't know how not to go to hell. So it was January 3rd um, of 06, we're into the new year now. I'm walking through the trailer that where I was in Blairsville and I see a card <clears throat> on a microwave. It caught my eye, I picked it up, I looked at it. It said Richard Peacock. Um, he was doing outreach visiting from a church, Morganton Baptist Tabernacle or something. Hmm. Um, and he had been doing door-to-door -door witnessing. And you know Richard Peacock, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but boy, he liked winning souls to Jesus. It's yeah. what he did. Very bold in the Lord, he would knock on doors. Um, I picked up that card, I looked at it, and when I saw that he was from a church, I'm like, that's someone who might can help me. See, I didn't understand I was searching. I didn't understand that God, in his mercy, was about to save my soul. Mm -hmm. And he was about to turn everything around. Mm -hmm. So I called the number on the uh, card and Richard answered, which I thought was strange because in my world, you don't answer the phone. You hear ring and ring and ring and ring yeah. and they may call you back. Yeah. And Richard answered and I said, sir, you don't know me, but my name is Wendy and I'm a drug addict. And if I don't get some help, I'm gonna die and go to hell. That's exactly what I said. Wow. And Richard just had this happy voice and he's like, well, you know, I think I can help you. And he said, give me 10 minutes. Um, I need to talk to my wife yeah. and I'm gonna call you back. Yeah. And I hung up thinking, I'll never hear from yeah, I'll him, never yeah, hear from him yeah. again. Man. He didn't want to hear about the drug addict, right? Mm -hmm. But God did. Mm -hmm. And Richard called me back in 10 minutes. That phone rang. And wow. he said, my wife and I, I told him where I was. And, of course, he had been there witnessing. And um, he said, we'll be there in about a half hour. So they were there in about a half hour. Wow. And I remember opening the door. And Richard Peacock was like six foot five, big guy. Wow. Um, 
He's like, hello, I'm Richard Peacock. Are you Wendy? And I mean, he was just smiling. I mean, he was just tickled pink. And I'm like, yes, I'm when I'm all crying. My lips are big. I'm snot, you know, <laughs> I'm going to die and go to hell. Where do you in such a good mood for? Yeah, he's so chipper. <laughs> uh, yes. And so um, he said, would you like to go for a ride with me and my wife? And I looked over and I saw this beautiful woman sitting in the uh, in their Jeep, that little Jeep Cherokee, and um, she just glowed. Beautiful, long, curly hair. Um, but what I noticed was this beautiful smile on her face. And I'm thinking, nobody has smiled at me like that mm -hmm. in a very long time. I asked Jan a couple years down the road, I asked her, I said, why were you smiling at me like that? And she said, because I was looking at the most broken soul mm. I have ever seen. Wow. And you needed to see me smile. Mm -hmm. And she was right. Yeah. Random question, what day of the week was this? Do you remember? Oh, gosh, I don't. But it wasn't like a weekend. That's what I was going to say. I mean, yeah, it wasn't a weekend. Um, it seemed like it was a Monday, to tell you the truth. I'd have yeah. to go back and look at a calendar. No, that's fine. I just, I was just thinking, you know, if he's out there witnessing, he's probably out there when people are home, which would be mm -hmm. after work hours or even before mm -hmm. work hours, mm -hmm. weekdays, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, yeah, he, he definitely had a ministry. No, I'm telling yeah. you, he, uh, he also had a, a garbage business. <laughs> which means it would have been during the week because I know the next day he had to go to work. Yeah. Um, so so I said, yeah, you know, so I climb in their uh, Jeep, I get in the front seat, Jana got in the back yeah. um, with their little toddler, Derek, who's now 20 years old. Um, and he was like maybe two or something. Yeah. And uh, come to find out, Richard was very strategic because they didn't want me in the back seat with Derek because they didn't know me. So he wanted me up front with, yeah. <laughs> with him. Well, he's six know, foot five. Very wise. <laughs> yeah. um, but he thought everything through and, and he just did, you know, exactly as the Lord led him yeah. um, to do. So they drove me to a church parking lot in Blairsville and I don't remember the name of the church. Um, I know Jana probably remembers. Um, and Richard just looked at me and he said, Wendy, would you like to know why you do what you do? And I was like, can you tell me? Yeah. I would love to know why. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking crazy. for that answer. Yeah. I, I'm just crazy. Yeah. And I said, I've been to psychiatrists who've told me I have anxiety, I've got depression, I got all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I would love to know why I do what I do. And um, he opened his Bible and he showed me a scripture. Romans 6 or Romans 3, I, I can't remember. Um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he showed me that scripture so I could see it. Yeah. And um, he said, Wendy, you do what you do because you're a sinner. You're a sinner by nature. And I said, you mean everybody is a sinner? And I'm a 41-year-old woman, but I'm like a little kid. I'm like a little child. Everybody's a sinner. My mother is a sinner. Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't believe it. Yes, 
what does that scripture say? It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. Romans 3.23. Okay. Yeah. And um, then he took me to a scripture, and it's probably in that same chapter. And it says, the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. But the gift of God is eternal life. So he's leading me through these scriptures, and then he takes me to Ephesians 2, verse 8, I think. For you are saved by grace through faith. Mm -hmm. It's the free gift of God, not by works, Mm -hmm. lest any man boast. Mm -hmm. And he said, Wendy, there's just not enough good works that you could ever do to get into heaven. Doesn't matter how many doors you open for the little old ladies. It doesn't matter how many times you tell your mom the truth. You know, it doesn't matter. You're saved by grace through Jesus, the gift of Jesus. So he takes me through a couple more scriptures, and then he shows me John 3.16. Yeah. For God so loved the world, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. that whomsoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life yeah. everlasting life Yeah. and then he asked me he said Wendy would you like to get saved today would you like to know that you're going to heaven and I said yes and I mean my heart was just so open I mean God had just taken incredible mercy and grace to even let me have that faith the size of a mustard seed but he did it and he had been doing it all my life all my life he had given me opportunities and all my life he prepared me for that moment in time when i would come to him freely And all the the lies that I believed about God, all the lies that I told myself and I let the enemy tell me that God is bitter and hateful and, and God will just absolutely never love you. You can't have any more chances with God. God doesn't love you that much. All those lies God revealed to me that day through that scripture through that holy bible where the truth jesus said sanctify them by your truth thy word is truth it's the only absolute truth there is and so he took me to a scripture and that scripture says that if you confess jesus as lord with your mouth and you believe in your heart god raised him from the dead you will be saved whoever calls upon the name of the lord will be saved And I called upon the name of the Lord to forgive me in that Jeep Cherokee. And Richard said to me, you don't want to go back and stay in that trailer, do you? And I said, no, sir. And he said, we're going to go back and we're going to get your things and we're going to get you a hotel room tonight. And tomorrow we're going to find you help for your addiction. Because what Richard Peacock understood was that salvation was the most important thing. The rest 
will come later. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's your salvation that you need to be concerned with. So I went back to the trailer and I told the man there, I said, I really appreciate you letting me stay here. He had not been mean to me. He had not been forward with me. He was a blessing. Um, So was he just, I did have a question about him. So he was just passing by and saw you on the side of the road. And Mm -hmm. and was he a Christian? I have no idea. Okay. So he just... He talked like a Christian sometimes, but some of the things that I heard him say, like to other people, Mm -hmm. I'm like, maybe not so much. I don't know. But I do know that God sent him to get me from Asheville to Blairsville. Away from the bad influences and people you knew. Yeah. To where you're new in town, don't know anybody. Yeah, and to that card on that microwave. Yeah. I mean, it, it blows my mind to think about how God just delivered me and he did get me out of Asheville. He did get me away from the influence. He moved me out and I was gone for 15 years. Wow. Um, So Richard and Jana took me back. I thanked the guy. I said, thank you. His name was Greg. And I said, thank you for letting me stay here. But I've got a chance to get some help and I'm going to take it. And he was like, go for it. You know, I hope the best for you. Um, so they went and they, they took me to Waffle House. They got me something to eat. The Southern delicacy. Yes. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. I had a double cheeseburger with some fries. A double quarter good. cheese plate they it were yelling good. out. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Um, they, uh, Jana and their son Derek split a grilled cheese sandwich. Richard did not eat anything. I found out years later they didn't have the money. And they wanted me wow. to eat. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So after we ate, they took me to, um, I can't remember the name of it. I could take you to it. I could definitely do that. It was room number eight. It's um, it's off of, uh, high, is that 515 that's up here, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's off of 515 up a hill. And um, it was room number eight I went into. And Richard said now, you sleep here, get a good night's sleep. I have to work tomorrow. Um, Jana's going to come and pick you up at checkout time. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to our house. When I get through with my trash run, we're going to find you a place to go for your addiction. Yeah. So. Well, let's let's take a pause there mm-hmm. if we can. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break. Um, getting close to, to wrapping up uh, the first hour here. So we'll, we'll pick up on... Uh, going into rehab and and mm-hmm. and and the process through that because there's some people uh, talking to Daniel Sparks, which is the first guy I interviewed, first couple I interviewed. Uh, you know, for him it took a while for everything to sink in. And there's other people that just they're so tired of being in that lifestyle, they just want to do whatever. And they just yes, take it away from mm-hmm. me. But I, I call it the slow burn. There's mm-hmm. some people it just takes a little longer. Um, but one thing you talked about was. Uh, you know, ha- having shame for the sins and thinking, well, God couldn't love me. Um, in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which is the last verse, it said, For he hath made him to be sin for us. So, mm-hmm. for God had made Christ to be sin for us, mm-hmm. uh, Christ who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, Christ. Um, I love that. Had, uh, had an opportunity 
to stand on that verse. Mm -hmm. And God showed me that Christ became the whole sin of the whole world from first fall of creation, Adam, the last amen in Revelation, any sin that you could ever commit, and even those that have turned him away, he became their sin. Yeah. So in God's eyes, there's no such thing as a lost cause. Yeah. So I just wanted to, wanted to put that in there. That scripture is so beautiful, and it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking to think that he was made to be my sin. Mm-hmm. He was made to carry, like you're saying, every sin of mm-hmm. every human being yeah. fell upon him. And it, that sin hung on the cross, and the blood of Jesus washed over that sin. Mm-hmm. And that, there's a term that you say we're, the people that are saved are justified. Mm-hmm. We become one of the justified. Yes. Not through us, what we did, no. but through Christ. So Nothing through what I've done. Nothing. No, Nothing. No. So we'll take a break here, then we'll get back up here in a second. Okay. So I'm back here with with Wendy Long, and uh, where we left off was she had finally got some help through Reverend Peacock. Mm-hmm. He got you in a hotel, and he said the wife would come by the next day to pick you up at checkout. Yes, and so she picked me up, took me back to their house, and uh, gave me some lunch. She and I got to know each other a little bit better. Um, I called my mom, who I hadn't talked to in a long time. Oh, wow. Um, and told her, you know, guess what, Mom? I got saved. Oh, wow. Now, I missed the, I need to back up to the hotel room. Okay. um, Just for a minute, because this is where something very profound happened. So, I get to the hotel room. I go in. It's quiet. It's dark. And I am drawn to my knees. I go over to the bed, and I knelt down. I have never knelt down. And I just started crying and crying and crying. And I did not know that there were that many tears inside me. And all I could say was, God, please find me. I am lost. That was all I could say. And I stayed in that kneeling position for what seemed like a very, very long time. And then I quit crying and I stood up and there was a peace that had come into me that I had never known in my life. Mm -hmm. It was like there was rest for this sinner. And I remember just thinking, everything is going to be okay. There's hope. Everything is going to be okay. I took a shower. I got in bed. And I slept through the night. Wow. With no drink, no pill, no crack, no man, just me and the Lord. Mm-hmm. 
Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for your soul. Of course, I didn't know that scripture at that time. But his word just continually confirms itself. I had a peace I had never known. I've never had to take another antidepressant. I've never had to take another anti-anxiety medication. He gives peace. The next day, Jana came and got me, took me to her house. We got to talk. I called Mom. I said, Mom, you know, you're, you're not going to believe this, but I got saved. I'm in Georgia. Yeah. I, I don't even know, you know, how I got here. I mean, I'm here. Well, Mom, of course, is like my little daughter, the drug addict liar. <laughs> I don't know what you're telling me is the truth. And I said, hey, you know, Jana, will you talk to my mom? Will you tell her that this is, I'm telling Mm -hmm. the truth? And Jana did, and they talked for like 30 minutes. My mom didn't know if I was dead or alive. Yeah, 15 years? No, about two weeks. Oh, sorry, two weeks. Um, She had no idea if I was dead or alive. Christmas went by, my birthday went by, New Year's went by, um, and she had no idea where I was or if she would ever hear my voice or see me again. And she was the only one left in my family that even mentioned my name anymore because everybody else had to back away. They had their (coughs) own families and things they had to take care of. But I was mama's little girl and she was never going to stop praying and she was never going to stop hoping. Never. So Richard got home from work. We, we piled up in the Jeep, his, their Jeep, and went around to a few pastors trying to find me help, a place to go. It ended up that there was a place in Atlanta, but it was more of a state hospital kind of thing. And they really did not want me to go there. They wanted me to go to a Christ-centered yeah. program. One of the pastors mentioned the Reef House in Ranger, Georgia. Um, we called the Reef House and talked to him, and Christy Bandy, who was the director of the Reef House, she said, well, I have to pray about who we bring in. We don't, we don't even have an open bed. Mm-hmm. The next thing I knew, the Lord had told Christy, bring her in. I wow. want her here. Wow. So they had a day bed in the living room, and that's where I slept. Mm-hmm. And um, it was there in the Reef House that you start reading that that Bible. Mm -hmm. You start reading that word. Mm -hmm. That is what the Ruth House centered around. It Mm -hmm. was named after the Book of Ruth. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything was built around that word. And we were to read that word. They didn't stand over you with a whip or anything, Mm -hmm. but if you wanted to get the fullness of what that ministry was, you had to read the word, it was essential. And so I opened up my Bible, started reading in Matthew. Um, I did not understand a lot of what I was reading. There's so many parables and different things in Matthew. But I remember reading it for about a week and every day, every day I read it. And um, I woke up one morning and I was happy. Hmm. I was looking forward to my life. And what I've come to understand and what I've come to believe 
is that that word was coming in and even though I wasn't realizing it there was a harvest I mean yeah. those seeds were being sown and there was a harvest coming mm -hmm. abundant life and joy you know mm -hmm. all these things you know were, were coming into my life and it was so new to me because I never knew it I never understood it and um, even though I didn't understand a lot of what I was reading I knew that it was making a difference in my life and yeah. how I felt about life and what was going on in my life and what I compare it to is a mother who's breastfeeding her baby because you know I'm this little baby Christian you know I'm just a little teeny weeny coming into the roof house and um, you know these little babies they nurse and they don't know what's in that breast milk they have no idea but it is calming them and it's soothing them and it's satisfying them and it's helping them grow to be strong and healthy and uh, even though I didn't know a lot understand a lot it didn't matter because it was still coming in and those seeds were being being sown and um, I just started reading through the Bible read Matthew Mark Luke and John and then Richard was telling me to read through the Psalms and the Proverbs and then go back to Genesis so so in that nine months that was a time and of course you know um, I made some very lifelong friends as sisters in Christ yeah. in that in that ministry um, but what you come to understand is that you can love God we love him because he first loved us and and just like that scripture you were reading from 2nd Corinthians he was made to be sin he knew no sin and when you grasp I remember we were sitting in Bible study class one night and we were reading the scripture where Jesus was um, Judas came and kissed Jesus on the cheek and he betrayed him with that kiss and the first word that came out of Jesus's mouth to Judas was friend you betray the Son of Man with a kiss but then Jesus said greater greater friend greater friend hath no man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends and yet he would call Judas friend no greater love does a man have than this no greater love man's love for his friend and to lay down his life for his friend and that scripture flew all over me you would call me friend and I asked to be excused from that Bible study class Christy excused me I went in my room and I cried some more because I had finally grasped God's love yeah I finally had an understanding of what my Savior went through for me because it is personal <clears throat> and when you grasp the love of God that he has first shown you through Jesus and through all the the times in my life from when I'm just a little baby <clears throat> his protection and his mm -hmm. sovereignty over me no matter what the situation was yeah. he was sovereign and his plan for my salvation came to pass and when I thought about Jesus laying down his life for me that he would call me his friend it was a release it was a um 
major defining moment in my Christian life. And I will never forget it. We have those moments that we receive God's love deeper and deeper and deeper, knowing we could not love him as deeply as he loves us, not ever. Nobody's going to give their son that I know of to pay the price mm-hmm. for the sins of all mankind. Yeah. But yet God loved us that much. Yeah. John, so John 15, 13. Love it. Yeah. What's it say? Oh, Is that the one friend? Yeah. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Amen. Um, I have called you friends. I think that's the next scripture. Um, And it just, it made it so much more real. And I could not contain the gratitude. Mm -hmm. The gratitude. I had to get up and go to my room and cry. Yeah. And say, God... I understand what it took. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, you went through it. Yeah. You went through all of that. And you would call me your friend. I love you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing this for me. Mm-hmm. And it just put it on a whole new level. And from that minute on, I loved God. Yeah. I could, I could understand now why so many people in my past would praise him and thank him and pray to him even when they're dying in a bed from cancer they're still holding that bible they're reading that word and they're praying to the one that they're going to go to yeah that's what i was going to ask you terry yes the gentleman's name so you kind of get more of an understanding of looking back going okay now now i get it i know what was going on now yeah i understand it wow he was being a child of God. He was God's child. And I believe he was trying to draw as close to his heavenly father as he could in this life because he knew that's what it was going to take. Yeah. Nobody else could get him through it. Yeah. I could not, his mother could not. No one could get him through it. The pain, the suffering that he went through, he suffered he suffered and he understood where his help came from and I did not but I will tell you that I will see Terry Long Mm -hmm. I will see him again because now I am a saved child of God and that's the difference yeah Yeah. amen so um, I know you said you was 31 Mm-hmm. When Terry passed away, mm-hmm. thirty. Thirty, and then thirty ones when he tried crack for the first time. Mm-hmm. So when was it, how old were you when you went to rehab? Was it you said it's ten years? It's forty one. Okay, mm-hmm. and then from there you begin to see, all of a sudden, God's not this big bully upstairs trying to get his thumb on you, trying to squish you. It's you're now seeing the love of Christ. And, he longs for us. Yeah. He, his will is none should perish, but all come to repentance. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want us to live in the bondage of sin, mm-hmm. whatever that sin is that we're taking part in, whatever yeah. that idolatry. Yeah. Um, and he will wait. And, and I always, well, I don't always say, but I have often thought, 
God wants to be our first choice, mm -hmm. but he's willing to be our last. Mm -hmm. And he was the last that I called on. Wow. And the only one who could do anything. Yeah. The only one who could do anything. And when <coughs> we spend so many years turned away from him because something hurt us, something mm -hmm. broke us. Yeah. He's the healer. He's the one who puts it all back together again. He's the one who restores and redeems. Yeah. Refreshes. Wow. He he's the one who saves. <laughs> yeah. There's no one who can set you free except him. Mm -hmm. He's the only one. Mm -hmm. There isn't another one. Mm -hmm. He is God and there is none besides him. He he's it. And he wants us to come to him willingly. Yeah. And I've often asked the Lord in prayer. I did for years. And then one night God showed me. I said, God, why did I make it out? So many people are dying in drug addiction. Mm -hmm. Every day, hundreds and thousands of people use it for the last time. Mm -hmm. It kills. If it's not an overdose, it's suicide, it's murder, it's whatever it is. But it's killing people left and right it is an epidemic a pandemic it is everywhere in the world mm -hmm. why god why why me why did i make it out and you know what i believe the lord said to me you had faith the size of a mustard seed mm -hmm. and he gave me that yeah, yeah. i stayed um, in the program at the wreath house it was a nine-month program i graduated I stayed on for a couple of months um, uh, being trained in leadership. I made the decision to leave. Um, and about three years after I left, the Lord blessed me with a no-cost ministry for women of addiction or coming out of prison, um, domestic abuse, whatever their brokenness was, mm -hmm. we didn't distinguish. You're a broken sinner and you want to start a new life in Christ, come yeah. on over. Yeah. Um, and we were blessed to have that as a no cost because the last thing that a, a addict or a pretty much anyone else who's broken yeah. um, has is money. Yeah. Um, so no waiting lists and things like that. Wow. Um, and I had that for three years and it was an absolute desire of my heart. Yeah. And God just, he handed it to me. <coughs> yeah. Handed it to me. And, um, then I... Well, and Mr. Reverend Peacock even was present during that. Oh, yes. Sharing earlier. Oh, we, my gosh. Richard and Jana. Yeah. <laughs> instrumental. The, the same couple that was... Well, the, the son and mother was splitting a cheese, like a grilled cheese sandwich. Because mm -hmm. they didn't have money to, yes. to buy. They wanted you to eat. They wanted me to eat. Then all of a sudden, they're, they're trying to help you with this no-cost ministry. Yes. Donating and helping. Yes. I mean, that's, yes. that's a very selfless man. Oh, and he would come out and do teachings, teach Bible studies. Oh, wow. Um, there were two ladies that came out, and he would come out, lead them to the Lord. He's like, Wendy, are you telling them about, you know, <laughs> I need to come chug up on you. But he was wow. just like, uh, we were the same, almost the same exact age, but he was really a spiritual father to yeah. me. Yeah. And Jana, being maybe five years younger than me, was a spiritual mother to me. I mean, they just loved me and nurtured me, mm -hmm. held me accountable when I needed mm -hmm. it. I butted heads with Richard Peacock so many times <laughs> with my little self-righteous self. Um, 
he didn't have it right. I had it right. Okay. <laughs> but then the Lord would always reveal to me, oh God, yeah. now I got to go ask yeah. for forgiveness. And um, Richard's like, I forgave you, yeah. you know, when it happened. Wow. I knew you'd come around, and he always did. But um, <laughs> he was um, he was a one in a million. Yeah. Uh, he actually, when he died, he he and his wife Jana were full time prison missionaries with Rock of Ages prison ministries. Um, and he was going into the prisons and the jails, which is what he was absolutely called to do. Wow. And he loved that. And he was the finest man of God that I ever knew. It was like God just really sent the, a strong, loving, understanding man of God. And it just blows my mind, that card. And I still have that card. Good. Yeah, Nobody's I was gonna getting ask that you. car. Yeah. So did did he do his own? I imagine he he had he did his own visiting. He did. So he's the one that knocked on that trailer door. Yes. Gave the gentleman the car. That's right. Um. I know. You, oh, and the last time he came, I was there. I was back in my really? bedroom, and I didn't even know that Richard was there. Really. But he had come to do a follow up. Yeah. With Greg. Yeah. And um, Greg told him that he had a girl there. And Richard's like, now you know that's not right. <laughs> Richard was not one to hold back. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like, we're not doing anything, Brother Peacock. Well, it just shouldn't be happening, you know. Yeah, but um, and then it was like, I guess maybe the next day or the day after that I walked through and, and found that the, the card. Wow. Yeah, but the card was already there. <coughs> yeah. Um, but he did come back to do a follow up wow. with Greg. So. Wow. I know we kind of skipped. So you, you have the no-cost ministry. I did for and three years. for women that needed help, mm-hmm. no matter what the, call, what, yeah. what, the, what the circumstances were. Exactly. So during that time, um, what about with, like, with the Ruth House? Were you still kind of helping them here and there? Were you taking people that graduated and said, hey, like, you want to come up over here? Mm-hmm. Was there anything like that going on between the two? I actually took a couple of ladies in who had graduated from the Ruth mm-hmm. House, but they needed a place where they could sort of transition. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. you can kind of live on your own. Mm-hmm. There's not a bunch of guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, you can work, you know, start saving your money, pay off fines, Yeah. you know, get your license, save up. I liked them to save up, yeah. you know, quite a bit of money yeah. um, before they left. Um, so, yes, I brought a couple of ladies in who okay, had been good. through the program. Yeah. And I did for a while do some volunteer work. I would go out and spend a weekend a month um, with the ladies at the Reef House. Okay. okay. Then my mother started um, not being able to get around too well. Um, I was still living here, and um, the Lord just led me to go take care of her so that she did not have to go to a nursing home. Yeah. I'm not saying that to to toot my my own whistle I'm saying that's what the Lord led me to do and that the Lord blessed me to do it yeah um did the ministry still continue no okay no I'm hoping sometime in the future um there will be more no-cost ministries Mm -hmm. in cities all over Mm -hmm. the U.S. I hope that churches will catch the burden that I believe the Lord's trying to cast They are not a hopeless population of people. They may look hopeless, but so did the man who lived among the tombs. 
you know, so did the lady who who had the issue of blood. Yeah. The lepers, you know, all these mm-hmm. people looked hopeless. Yeah. I mean, but they weren't, and they had they had an altercation or an introduction to Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus took care of it. Yeah. Oh, well, and and there's times they need help too. Yes. Uh, with friends, the, the man that was on the bed of palsy, mm-hmm. the the friends loved him so much they ripped the roof off. I love that. Yes. And lowered him down. They so, did. So, yes. Uh, <clears throat> so, talking about uh, going to take care of your mother. So, I just want to kind of, I guess, get caught up and paint a picture at this point. So, you were gone for two weeks. You didn't know where you were. Where from you... Christmas. Well, I don't know if it was two weeks. It was from Christmas Eve. The last time that I talked to my mom was December 21st, okay? okay? She had got me a hotel room. She yeah. wanted me to stay somewhere for Christmas. She didn't want me on the street. Yeah. Um, so from the 21st to January 3rd, my mother had no idea so you, where I was. You call her and you tell her you've made a change. Mm-hmm. You accepted Christ as your Savior. Mm-hmm. You're going to get help. Yes. Uh, I'm guessing you and your mother were in contact during the Ruth house. Yes, and, very and even much the ministry time, mm-hmm. but you're still at the Ruth house. Now you're busy with your ministry. So when you took care of your mother, was just a time for y'all to really sit and bond and discuss scripture or was it more of a... For me and mom? Yeah, for you. you. Um, mom came to visit me a few times when mm-hmm. I was in the Ruth house. Yeah. Um, she was tickled pink. Yeah. And, um, and that is when mom and I bonded mm-hmm. in Christ Yeah. because I was sort of where she was. Loving those scriptures, loving prayer, loving to praise the Lord, trusting Him, counting on Him in every battle that I had. Um, so yeah, we bonded over that, yeah. and it's made us not just you know mother and daughter, but but elder sister and younger sister in Christ. When I made the decision to leave the ministry, which I believe is what God led me to do, and move back to Asheville, and that's been seven years. In October, it'll be seven years. Um, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. And I have faced some of my hardest trials. Um, just with patience and contentment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, God sets moments before me where I see my mom doing something that seems so trivial to me, but for it is huge for her to be able to do, like water flowers, yeah. put on her shirt, yeah. stand up with me helping her and being able to cook a roast. Mm-hmm. And I see that these things would not be able to happen if my mom was in a nursing home. She's able to be in her home with her things. She's able to have her little doggies, which are actually mine, (coughs) but not anymore. Yeah, they take up for her. It's all about Mimi. (laughs) They sleep with her, not me. (coughs) It took our relationship to a a newer level. That's good. Um, And I love that woman. And I'm so grateful that God all the women in the world mm-hmm. that he could have chosen. He chose Margaret Ann Felkel to be my mother because he knew the labor of prayer, the labor of hope, mm-hmm. 
all those things that were going to be necessary. I put that woman through hell. Well, she was up for it. Uh, yeah, and never did she give up. Yeah. Never did she give up hope in God. Yeah. To help her children, yeah. all of us, all four of her children. Uh, they have a daughter and a son who were theirs biologically, mm-hmm. and then me and Tim. Yeah. Tim died this past June. Mm-hmm. Sorry to hear that. It's the hardest. It's the hardest trial that I have been through in my faith yeah. in God. Yeah. I think from praying so hard, you know. Father, the one whom thou lovest is sick. Mm-hmm. You know, I need you to heal him. I need you to leave him here with me. Because it's all about me. <laughs> I need my brother. Yeah. Um, but God's, God's will was not mine yeah. in that situation. Yeah. And um, God's will prevailed. And now that I look back, Really, just within the past couple of weeks, have I been able to see the blessing of having him for 59 years. Yeah. And that God did not allow us to be separated. And just, you know, Tim's beautiful family that he left behind, his wife and his three girls and all his grandchildren. Um, he was so loved yeah. by so many. And... Even though I wanted God to heal him here, I remember my mom saying, you know, God doesn't do anything halfway. Yeah. And so after he died, I was like, God, why couldn't you have healed him? Why, why wouldn't you heal him here? And God just showed me I healed him all the way home. Mm-hmm. Because Tim never knew the rest. He didn't know. He believed in Jesus as a savior but he was never able to shake a lot of the burdens and damage that was done but he can now yeah he can now so that is his reward is to be with the lord now and i will see him again one day too so So, i guess that brings us up to present day Mm -hmm. in in a sense so uh so during during your struggles and trials and, and especially going through the rehab, um, has there been I know you shared, you know, scripture that Reverend Peacock shared with you. Has there been a verse or two or a chapter or a song, something that stuck out with you that's kinda helped you like when you get in a hard spot, you just say John three sixteen, you know, just repeat it to yourself or is there something like that for you? One of my favorite scriptures <clears throat> is when the woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus. And Jesus turned to her and he said, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Mm -hmm. Knowing that I'm his daughter, Mm -hmm. I belong to him. He has claimed me. And knowing that my faith in him makes me whole. There can be no brokenness when you're in Christ. Your brokenness is gone. Yeah. We're bone of his bone, and not one of his bones was broken. And I, t- <laughs> I tend to, you know, look at it like I belong to him. 
I'm his. And, and even though life hurts a lot of the time, it, we're sinners. We live in a fallen world, mm -hmm. and sickness is not God's fault. Mm -hmm. Brokenness is not God's fault. Mm -hmm. He gets the blame a lot of the time, especially when we don't know Him. We don't. We want to blame somebody. Yeah. I, I can't possibly take a responsibility for my I, own I was choices. Say, yeah, it can't would be think me. That, no, absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, I'm not the problem. It's got to be God or yeah. mom or dad or somebody. <coughs> but I think until you. But anyway, that is one of my favorite my favorite scriptures because he calls her daughter, and he he identified her in that moment and and showed her your mind, yeah. and your faith in me makes you whole. Um, and then another one of my favorites is, I love him. Because he first loved me. He yeah. always first loved me. Yeah. First. You know, I don't love him because there's some great thing about me that makes me just love God. Mm -hmm. I love him because he first mm -hmm. had mercy and grace on me. I don't deserve any. Yeah. Anything. I don't deserve his love. Mm -hmm. How could I? Yeah. Never in a million years. That's I know true. who I am. Yeah. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And our, our righteousness is filthy rags. It is. That's why man could not... I'm trying to remember how it's worded. It's it's one of the core principles of Christianity is that man can do nothing to redeem itself from the fallen state. No. And there's nothing we can do. No. Um, so. All well, I could do is get worse. Yeah. That's all I could do. So, I could well, do worse. Talking about that, one random question has come to mind. So during that time when you were battling addiction, was there ever a time you tried to overcome it by yourself? Yes. You there said you, many, you would get clean times. maybe a weekend? Yeah. many. No. Ma oh, and then, you know, you make it through three days. Mm -hmm. yeah. Way to go, Wendy. That's, uh, that's, Why don't you go have a glass of wine? Yeah, you'll celebrate. Celebrate your yeah. sobriety. Well, no. a glass of wine? <laughs> Ten glasses of wine? And then you're right back where you started, and you're just hammered in yeah. a little harder. Yeah. Um, like okay. I said, I tried NA. Um, yeah, I just went around and listened to everybody tell me how horrible their life was. There wasn't any healing in that for me. Yeah. There, there was nothing. I can tell you a worse story yeah. than what I'm hearing. And I already know I'm a drug addict, so yeah. what help is that going to give me? Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. So, uh, what about any like gospel music or anything, or you just kind of? There's so much. Um, the one that I've been listening to recently, quite a bit, is of course "Scars in Heaven" by Casting Crowns. Um, it's helped me understand my brother's okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, Amazing Grace. And I mean the old time versions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Man, I, I love some old time Victory in Jesus. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. At my church we we use the old hymnals. Yeah. And I'm telling you, the victory in Jesus really touched my heart. But there's one and and we don't see it or sing it often, but it's called uh, Gethsemane. Yeah. And it's an old one, and it talks about, you know, Jesus being in the garden, mm -hmm. come to Gethsemane and see Jesus on his knees. Mm -hmm. And then it talks about come to Golgotha and 
and see this. I can't remember the words, but I the first time I heard it, I was just like, wow. That, that is an old song. Wow, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And then, um, um, alas, and did my Savior die? Alas, and did my Savior die? First, and did, I can't remember... I can't. I'll, I'm I'm stuck on the spot here. Yeah, it's no, one of my favorites. Yeah, it's called "Alas and Did My Savior Bleed." Yeah. Um, okay, okay. But it's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. And what's the one that says, "Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Come, my fount yeah, of every that. blessing." Yeah. It's one of my favorite too. Yeah. That one line prone to wander, mm -hmm. Lord, I feel it, mm -hmm. prone to leave the God I love. Mm -hmm. Because we as human beings are still prone mm -hmm. to leave. Um, yeah. At least I struggle, you know, with it. Sometimes yeah. it's like, you know, it's really hot down here in my world, Lord. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. But God always sends yeah. scripture yeah. or somebody or just a random blessing to give you the strength. He's always on time. Yeah. And even when I think that I'm going to give up, mm -hmm. he's not because yeah. he's faithful and I'm faithless. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, I could talk about God all day. <laughs> You're fine. Ask Tabitha. I, I just, uh, <laughs> I, I just, you know, everybody's going to get a free little, uh, I guess, uh, preview of your singing. Mm. Oh, so right there. So <laughs> that's, that's okay. It's glory to God. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. And it's I love it's a joyful noise. I love some old time hymns. Yeah, but I like some of the contemporary. Yeah. Um, as long as it, you know, scriptural and yeah, you know, there's some stuff out there that kind of yes. toe in the line yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You know, I was gonna say with yeah. the doctrine. Um, but yeah. those old time hymns, man, these people knew God. Mm -hmm. There are testimonies mm -hmm. in those old ones. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what a you know, anything else you'd like to like to share about your testimony? Uh, no, nothing except <clears throat> to God be the glory. Yeah. Um, without Him, I'm nothing. You know, Jesus said, "Apart from me, you can do nothing." Yeah. That's what you can do, nothing. Yeah. And my life for 41 years was a whole lot of nothing. What about any advice? What if somebody's listening to this that struggling with either that hopeless feeling or maybe even that one that's battling addiction? You know, what advice would you give them? Or even somebody that's, you know, you said, uh, you know, you've, with your brother passing away, I mean, it, it's losing loved ones hard. It's, it's tough. Uh, what advice would you give somebody? To people who are struggling with addiction, let yourself break. You have to let yourself break. Pride, it, it's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Hope for people who are hopeless. There is only hope in Christ. He's your hope. Talk to him. If you don't know him, if you've never known him, talk to him anyway. I did. God, if you can do something, do it now. That was my first, the first words that I ever remember uttering to the almighty, holy God was, God, if you can do something, do it now. 
And I came across in scripture years ago, I think it's in John, but it could be Luke, where the man was bringing his demon-possessed son to Christ. Mm. And he said, Lord, if you can do something. And Jesus said, if, and then I would have to try to remember. If the passage of scripture says, Lord, I believe. Yes. But help help thou my unbelief. Help thou my unbelief. And the gentleman, not take this off Uh the rails, uh, the gentleman went to the disciples first. Mm -hmm. And when you hear about Jesus, Mm -hmm. and you hear he's got 12 followers that can cast out demons, Mm -hmm. there's hope. Yes. He goes to them. They couldn't do it. You know, like, he's done everything. Then he goes to the one who could. Yes. And even then, the back of his mind, it was just like, can, yeah. can he really do yeah. this? Yeah. And he can. Yeah. And he will. And it's just a step away. It's literally one step away. And it's mm. it's getting out of yourself and accepting and understanding that you can't do it. Whatever it is you're trying to do in your own <clears throat> strength, you cannot do it. And the only real hope there is, is the hope that is in Christ. He's real, he's alive, he's there, and he's waiting. He's waiting for more more souls to come to him. Mm -hmm. And if you're out there struggling with the death of someone that you love so, 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 so much, just know that God and it may sound superficial. If you're a Christian and you're a believer, God will get you through it. Do not put down your hope and do not put down your Bible and do not put down church and do not put down praising God. Don't don't do those. Mm -hmm. I, I did those and believe me, you will hurt worse than you ever thought you could. And we're giving an example in Acts when Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. They were beaten, thrown in jail. And in spite of the pain, in spite of the circumstances, they still prayed. Yes. And and sang old hymns. You know, if you have it that way. They They sang to God. And then God had an earthquake come on that place. They didn't just benefit them. Mm -hmm. Everyone else's shackles fell off. Amen. And everyone else's doors were open. Say it. Yes. Hallelujah. When you worship in spite of the pain, that's when you start making the impact. Because, again, we got scripture, uh, you know, when I am weak, he is strong. Yes. I must decrease, he must increase. So. Yes. Some of the closest, closest, I guess, worship moments, I, you know, that I've had with God is whenever I'm hurting the most. Yeah. And I finally turn over to him and say, I can't do anything with this but hurt. So. A very pure form of worship would come from the pain and the brokenness that is in us. There's a gentleman I listened to. <clears throat> he, uh, him and his wife lost their youngest son to a drowning. Um, he was actually doing a men's um, ministry event. Uh-huh. He had to fly back real quick. He's in Mississippi, lives in Alabama. And he said that God told him, when, he's looking at the moon, flying back. He said, God, what, what do I do? Mm. And he said, I'm going to get more glory out of this than pain you feel. So anytime I heard, I said, God, just, I'm going to give this to you so you get the most glory out of this, yes. more yes. glory out of this than the pain I feel. And, yes. And it's, you know. That's even, a good, I like that. <laughs> well, I like, the, I like the one about it that you said that God wants to be our first choice, but he's, 
be our last choice. Our last yeah, choice. that's yeah. something to chew on on that one. So, yeah. <laughs> any other advice you want to give, or anything you want to touch base on? I just pray that that if you're out there and you you have any doubt about your salvation, or you know that you're not saved, call out to God, find a pastor. Go to a church, tell them, you know, just be upfront and honest with them. There are so many people in the church who really do want to help. They have the love of Christ, and they're waiting. God has them waiting. Just like God had people lined up in my life to love me to Jesus, he's got those same people. And yours, maybe you're thinking of somebody you know right now that you need to call. Yeah. Um, And know that I'm praying for you. Everybody out there who's going to listen to this, everybody who's going to hear this, God loves you so much that he gave his son to be sin. He that knew no sin was made to be sin for all of us. Sinless, he went to that cross, but carrying all of ours. There is no love that can ever compare to that. Amen, and thank you, Jesus. Well, uh, if you have nothing, if you have, if that's it, then uh, if you wouldn't mind, just close out in a word of prayer. Absolutely, Father, I just come to you, Lord, humble. I'm just humbled, Lord, again in my spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to remember, just to remember how far down I was. But your arm is not so short that it cannot reach anyone and i just pray father that you will bless andrew father that you will just uh, continue lord to bless this ministry Um, he's glorifying you lord he's praising you and lord he's bringing uh, testimonies all to your glory lord through these podcasts i pray that you just continue to strengthen him give him wisdom lord to make choices and just lead him on father to where you would have him go he's got a heart to serve he has a heart to disciple so i just pray lord that you will honor those desires of his heart i pray lord for everyone out here who may listen to this podcast father that that the seeds of your word lord that the seeds of these testimonies father would go into their hearts and there would be a harvest of salvation lord because your will is that none should perish but all come to repentance So I pray, Father, for everyone in this world who does not know Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for bearing that burden of sin. And, Father, I just take the burden, Lord, to pray, Father, which is nothing, nothing compared to what Jesus went through and the burden that he carried, Lord. But we love you, and we want to see souls saved. We want to see people healed, Lord, from sin and the brokenness that it causes. We want to see families healed and restored. We want to see your church, Father, increase uh, in this world, Lord. So we're going to give you praise. We're going to give you glory. Just keep us strong in our times of weakness and just help us, Lord. Jesus, you said that apart from you, we can do nothing. So we pray, Lord, that if we do begin to be prone to wander, Lord, that you would turn us back just by your grace and your mercy. Father, that we will always follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.